It's go time. The Canadian Football League has moved into its playoff segment of its 2022 season. The regular season is over. Final weekend had no bearing on standings nor playoff races. And that's quite a change. Hi, everybody. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Certainly had nothing on the line for the games on the weekend, but for a lot of players and, of course, in terms of injuries, things like that, that people concern themselves with, there was a lot to be concerned about. The biggest takeaway from that weekend was that the football overall was pretty good. It was. And as we discussed last week, a big part was some auditions for some quarterbacks. There's guys that were in backup roles and short yardage roles all season that finally got the chance to take some meaningful snaps and and see how they could be in running an offense. There was some decent numbers. There were some questionable numbers. We saw a little bit of everything. The uh, biggest, I guess, moment of the weekend, if you want to call it that, was the return of Nathan Rourke to the playing field as a starter for the British Columbia Lions. The game, of course, will be tagged to him as a loss, which I've always hated that. The guy that starts the game, if he only plays one play, still gets the win or loss regardless of what happens the rest of the way. It is what it is, and you can read into that stat what you will. For Rourke, he didn't look sharp but what do you expect for a guy that has been away from the game for as long as he has since that August date in Regina? Exactly. This was a chance to get him back into the swing of things and see some game action. Coming in against that Winnipeg defense is a tough test for any quarterback, but he showed well enough that I believe the BC Lions have to be pretty confident heading into the playoffs. Vernon Adams is a capable number two quarterback to have in your back pocket going in here as well. But certainly it was big, big news in BC to get Rourke back into the lineup. And we're seeing that reflected in playoff ticket sales in Vancouver as well. They are opening the upper bowl in BC place. They've done that once this season. That was opening night. So the Lions will definitely be very happy that Rourke is back on the field. Their fans are are amped up for it. And you can just tell that there's a buzz about this game. The Lions, of course, and the Stampeders will be playing in that semifinal game. We'll get to that later. Let's talk about what did happen in the last couple of days, and that was some terminations and some uh, non-extension of contracts in Saskatchewan in terms of their offense. It seems like they have gutted their offensive coordinatorship. They have, as we learned earlier today, offensive coordinator Jason Moss has been terminated as well. They are not renewing contracts for receivers coach Travis Moore and offensive line and run game coordinator Stephen Sorrells. This doesn't come as a huge shock to me. The Rough Riders offense was a little bit stagnant at times. There was a lack of running game consistently throughout the season and a lot of fingers pointing at that offensive line as a big issue with Saskatchewan as well. We are seeing a side effect of that coach's salary cap come into play here as well. I believe that positions like Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson would be under a more focused microscope here as well, were it not that they are currently under contract for this upcoming season. It certainly would have been something more significant had they been on an expiring contracts to see what 
would have happened. They will be next year, and it's funny how that will become a different term instead of an ex- an extension that carried them to 2023. You're going to be hearing them referred to as lame ducks because if they don't produce, they know they're gone anyway. And it's an impossible situation without that certainty. You don't want to take many risky moves that comes with this. The Travis Moore staff, he started in 2017 and had been there ever since. How does a receivers coach all of a sudden become expendable after so many productive years? It's a situation of somebody's somebody has to be the one to suffer the consequences. Realistically, a receivers coach in this situation, I believe it's just unfortunate for him that his contract was expiring. There is a lot of bright spots on that receiving core. We see Kean Schaefer Baker have a career year. Kyron Moore, Shaq Evans continue to be consistent receivers in this league when they're healthy. The biggest hole I saw in that receiving core was more of a discipline issue with Dakeel Williams than anything else. And I don't believe that the receivers coach should be solely to blame for what happened there. It's just a matter of expiring contract. People are upset with the performance on the field and it was time to look at a different direction. Under the tenure of Jeremy O'Day, or if you want to call it as well, the tenure of Craig Dickinson, this will be coming up in 2023, the third offensive coordinator that they would have had in. At some point, when do you, I guess, as a ownership look at this and say, wait a minute, there's a trend happening here. We're scapegoating the offense all the time. What's really happening? Jeremy O'Day has to be feeling the heat at this point. We knew last year there was some struggles with the offensive line. This year it was exposed even more. That is more on on his plate, I believe, than on an offensive coordinator's. I guess the best cure for this is the Rough Riders get off to a hot start next season and turn things around with a new offensive coordinator and some new offensive coaches in there. And that might buy Dickinson and O'Day a little bit more time. But I agree with you 100%. You have to start looking at the top of that leadership group and where they stand. Jason Moss, I believe, ran a bit of a an unexciting offense as well. But at the end of the day, it is the head coach that is making the decisions as to how things are run. And Craig Dickinson at this point is floundering a bit as a head coach. What will happen will happen, I guess. It's a case hurrah, hurrah sort of time for the Rough Riders. And you're right, the coach's cap had a significant role to play in all of this. The Rough Riders now have to go out and get an offensive coordinator, have that person install a new offense or a modified offense from what they've been running. Remember that it wasn't that long ago that Stephen McAdoo was running the show in Saskatchewan as the OC, and he didn't prove good enough, and yet he had led an Edmonton team to a Grey Cup as offensive coordinator. We'll see what they do coming to forefront, and likely will have to be answered either in the draft or in free agency, and that's a new quarterback. Mason Fine deserves every opportunity to be that person, to be the starting quarterback for this team. Whether, though, that coaching staff believes in him is quite another story. It appears that Cody Fajardo's days are numbered in Saskatchewan. He has backed off a little bit from some of his previous comments, and it sounds like he is open to 
looking at a contract extension or a new contract with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Mason Fine certainly has earned the right to compete for that starting job. I don't believe he is going to be anointed the next starting quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at this point. I strongly believe that any new offensive coordinator and coaching staff that comes in is going to want to explore some other options as well. So training camp is going to be big for Mason Fine and there will certainly be some competition with some other people brought into camp. This is the regime that gave up on Zach Kolaris and shipped him off to Toronto only to see him wind up in Winnipeg and winning two Grey Cups so far, maybe a third on its way. Another team that's going to be looking for a coach is the Ottawa Red Blacks. They are putting out their feelers right now in terms of who is interested in the job. You've got to believe that Bob Dice has got to be considered, but given that they went one and two down the stretch, again, a very short sample size, does he lose out a little bit because the team didn't perform better in terms of wins and losses, not necessarily how they played? Again, it's a situation where I don't think he is anointed as head coach. He is a candidate for sure. And one thing that will work in his favor in this whole process is the respect and adoration he has from the players in that Red Blacks locker room. They really seem to rally behind him when he was moved into that interim head coach position. On the other hand, just because you're nice and well-liked doesn't make you head coach material. So it's, it's going to be a big off-season in that regard as well. We know some other candidates out there that are probably looking at a first head coach opportunity. Um, certainly there's some coaches in Calgary that are trending that way and, and some other ones throughout the league as well. So it's it's a real toss-up whether or not Dice does get that opportunity. We also see somebody like Kahari Jones that was let go earlier this season does he get another crack at a head coaching position? I believe he's going to be interviewed and we'll have to wait and see what comes up and what other candidates are are given that opportunity. If Kahari Jones does not get a shot at HC, does he become an OC? And does he become an OC in Saskatchewan, for instance? And maybe does Vernon Adams Jr. wind up as a rough rider? <laughs> There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. It doesn't appear... At this point, like there's going to be a lot of head coach openings later on this season. I have to believe everybody else in the West is firmly entrenched in their head coach positions as long as they sign contracts and, and are under contract. We'll have to see what happens in the East. We've seen a, a major drop off with Hamilton this year. Is Orlando Steinauer at risk? We know Danny Machocha came back to fill a role on the sidelines has he got enough of a taste for it now that he wants to remain there? Or are those Alouettes looking for a head coach in a couple of weeks here as well? And let's not forget before we leave this coaching carousel that uh, Mike O'Shea is not under contract for 2023 in Winnipeg. That was the under contract that I had mentioned. I didn't want to get into specifics yet at this point, but Mike O'Shea recently has operated on a one year at a time attitude and a one game at a time attitude when he's coaching. So it's really going to depend on if some big offers come his way from the East, how much does he want it? 
or is he really entrenched and believes in the Blue Bombers organization and the direction they are heading? Especially if they win the Grey Cup, I believe that Winnipeg will do everything in their power to keep him. But you might get some other teams looking at a head coach GM situation if he wants to go that route that may lure him away. And could that be, and he is from Southern Ontario, could that be Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa? I don't think Toronto is interested, but Hamilton, who knows what Orlando Steinauer has as plans. And Ottawa, Sean Burke may be very motivated to look at bringing him on board. We have finalists now in the CFL MOP race, as it were, for the trophies that come for your efforts on the field during the regular season. If we work our way towards league MOP, let's start with coaches since we've been there as it were for the last few minutes. Coach of the Year nominees from the East, Ryan Dinwiddie of the Toronto Argonauts and Mike Gaucher of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Dinwiddie got the Argos to first, got him a home playoff date for the second straight year. O'Shea, of course, led the Blue Bombers to a 15-3 record, the best that the Bombers have ever enjoyed in the CFL. Mike O'Shea has to be the front runner in this one. I was a little bit surprised, actually, that he got the nod over Campbell from the BC Lions. I, I think he did a great job of keeping that team motivated with the loss of Nathan Rourke, so I would have not been surprised at all had he got the nod, but... How can you argue with a 15-3 and three record? Michael Shea has, over the last three seasons, had a phenomenal record in Winnipeg, and the championships speak for themselves as well. I have to give him the advantage here over Ryan Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie, for his first stint as a head coach, has had a lot of success over his first couple of seasons as well. So I expect him to continue to grow as a head coach and uh, maybe in the CFL head coaching ranks here for a long time and his opportunity will come. But this year I've got to give it O'Shea for his back-to-back win. Moving up to outstanding rookie in the East, the nominee from the Montreal Alouettes is Tyson Philpott from the West, Dalton Schoen from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I don't think there's any doubt that Schoen will win, but it's pretty cool that one of the Philpott brothers made this list and it's a Canadian on that list. It is. You can't take away from the season that Tyson Philpott has had 986 all-purpose yards. So he is a return threat as well as a offensive threat, which is great to see. I, I love those kinds of players. It reminds you of somebody like a pinball Clemens who was a running back and return guy. It's always exciting to have that caliber of player and he is a Canadian star in the making in the CFL, but I don't think you can make any argument that he wins Rookie of the Year over Dalton Schoen. 70 catches, 1,441 yards, 16 touchdowns, which is only two away from the rookie record. His productivity on second down was incredible as well. Over 40 of those catches were on second downs to keep that offense on the field. Superb rookie season for Dalton Schoen. Just the third rookie ever to lead the uh, CFL in yardage. Moving to outstanding special teams. This one could be interesting. You've got the East Division's Chandler Worthy of the Montreal Alouettes 
and the West Division's Mario Alford of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders both were electric at times, providing a lot of fun, excitement, and scoring. They were. I will give the edge in this one to Chandler Worthy of the Montreal Alouettes, simply because I believe he had less big mistakes in the return game. Both of them were explosive returners. We saw some exciting touchdowns, great return averages, over 24 yards on their returns. Phenomenal, phenomenal stats. I recall a specific game where Mario Alford had a couple of costly fumbles that led to points for their opposition. And that, to me, when you look at some of those mistakes, is what is going to make the difference. The one thing about Alford that will help him a lot is he's the 11th player in league history with four or more kick return touchdowns in a single season. That will raise some eyebrows and get some pencils to paper. We move to outstanding offensive lineman Brandon Revenberg of the Hamilton Tiger Cats versus Stanley Bryant of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Both veterans with their team. Revenberg and Bryant are both iron men. They rarely miss any snaps. I'd lean towards Revenberg because of what Hamilton did in the back half of the season and how that running game came to the fore. That's very valid. You can't go wrong with nominating Stanley Bryant as an offensive lineman. This is his fifth time being nominated for this award. He's won it three times in the past. I just didn't quite see that Winnipeg Blue Bombers offensive line as dominant as they have been in the previous two seasons. I'm with you. I'm going to give a slight edge in this one to Brandon Revenberg. He had a phenomenal season. As you mentioned, that running game turned around over these last five games of the season, really pushed those Hamilton Tiger Cats into the playoffs. So we're going east this year, and Brandon Revenberg is going to eke out a close one uh, against Stanley Bryant for that lineman award. Most outstanding Canadian. This is fascinating. You've got Curly Gittens Jr., who had a phenomenal year with the Toronto Argonauts as a receiver, versus Nathan Rourke, who was tearing up the league with the BC Lions until that Lisfranc injury in Regina knocked him out for half of the season. Yet his numbers are so good that he's considered as one of the two in most outstanding Canadian. The argument is going to come down to how the people voting on this award see it. Do they see those injuries as making him ineligible because Nathan Rourke did miss six plus games. That's the only thing that I believe would take this award out of his hands. Curly Gittens Jr., you can't take away anything from him, over a thousand yards receiving. And again, much like I mentioned with Dalton Schoen, a clutch second down receiver that consistently makes those important catches to keep the offense on the field, keep moving those chains. What Nathan Rourke did through those first 10 games of the season was magical and phenomenal to see. If I had a vote, I am going with Nathan Rourke. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other direction, but he is certainly my pick for Outstanding Canadian. Gittens was there for all 18 that mattered, was integral to his team. And then as a receiver as well, you got to consider that you're not always called to do something 
where the quarterback touches the football on every play. This could go to Gittins Jr. just because he was healthy for the entire season, but it would not be a shock if Nathan Rourke wins because of how he started, what the BC Lions were doing. Six 300-yard passing games coming out of the gate. That's just ridiculous. And you have to look at where he ranks for passing touchdowns in the league as well, considering how many games he missed. He's right up there in the top echelon of the league for for touchdown passes, having missed over half a dozen games. He's got a lot of stats that work for him. Six 300-yard passing games, as I noted. Three 400-yard passing games. 10-2 and two as a starter. 123.6 QB efficiency. Set a new single-season passing completion record at 78.7. In fact, he had a year that had it been all 18. I think this would have been MOP and MOC. Moving to defense. The outstanding defensive player nominees are from the East, Lorenzo Malden from the Ottawa Red Blacks and Sean Lemon from the Calgary Stampeders. Lemon had 29 tackles and 14 sacks. Malden led the league with 17 sacks. I'm going with Lorenzo Malden from the Ottawa Red Blacks. The takeaway from him, though, is with a team like the Red Blacks that had such an abysmal season, can you give the nod for an outstanding defensive player to somebody on a team that showed that poorly? His numbers, 17 sacks, 43 defensive tackles, gives him a slight edge, in my opinion, to Sean Lemon. Lemon had a phenomenal season. He was also backed by Cam Judge. There's some big pieces on that Calgary Stampeders defense. That is why I'm leaning towards Malden. There wasn't as many standouts on that defense. I think he had to do a little bit more and had a, a great season. So he, he would get my vote. I think he's going to win this one over Sean Lemon. I will beg to differ on this point alone that Ottawa did have some stout defensive players. They had signed them in free agency and they played like it. The Ottawa defense was not the reason why they were losing football games. It was their offense. Malden the fourth was one of the guys that was a huge cog in that. This is more of a toss-up. I'm leaning towards Malden because, and I don't care what your record is, if you perform well, this is most outstanding, not most valuable. And you just look at individual effort. And I think team record has to be thrown out the window a little bit. I'm I'm leaning towards Malden on this one. I think he earned it. Although Sean Lemon, the back half of the season especially, did so well. Most outstanding player. From the Montreal Alouettes, who had a plethora of nominees in this year's Outstanding Player Awards. This time it's receiver Eugene Lewis. And from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the defending trophy holder, Zach Kolaris, their quarterback. This is a rare occurrence where a player is going to go back-to-back for most outstanding player. I believe Zach Kolaris, with his record of what he's done in Winnipeg, is the front runner to win this award. Taking nothing away from Eugene Lewis, he had a phenomenal season as well. I just think you look at that overall record of of 15 and 2 as a starter for the Bombers this season. A career high in touchdown passes. He's won MOP before with fewer touchdowns than that. 
it's got to be Zach Kolaris as the front runner in this one. Uh, Eugene Lewis, 91 receptions, 1,300 yards, and 10 touchdowns is a, a career year for an already outstanding receiver. But I just have to give the nod to what Zach Kolaris has done for that Winnipeg team. Zach Kolaris has shown more in this run than he did in the run that got him the MOP in 2021. His numbers are better. Play has been better. He's been more mobile. He's been threatening the defense in so many more ways that we used to see eight years ago with him. Eugene Lewis, the amazing year that he had, he's just run up against somebody that just was that much better. I just don't think he'll get enough votes to win, although he is very deserving down. CFL wrapped up its 2022 schedule with four games, one on Friday, three on Saturday. The opener, the British Columbia Lions in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. Winnipeg had clinched everything prior, so this was a chance for Nathan Rourke to get out and play. 7 of 11 for 68 yards. That's all that Rourke could provide, but he wasn't going to play very long and they weren't going to do too much. The Bombers win 24-9, BC unable to do something they had done all season long, that was score touchdowns. Interesting stat for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this year. They are 0-3 going into a bye and 3-0 coming out of a bye. This was a bit of a statement for the Bombers to let everybody know that they were not going to go lightly into the playoffs. A ho-hum start for Zach Kolaris. All he does is come in, lead two offensive possessions, throws for 68 yards, two touchdowns, and then hits the sidelines, showing that he is in prime game shape and ready to roll. Nathan Rourke, as as you mentioned earlier, did not go the distance for the BC Lions. Seven completions for 11 passes, 68 yards, getting back up to game speed. I believe he, he showed not quite the level he was prior to injury, but keeping in mind that he has not seen game action in over two months. The one thing you don't want to see and what happened to the Lions and almost it seemed like successive plays in the third quarter are injuries. Dominique Grimes, Javon Katoy, and Lucky Whitehead all go down with injury. For the most part, I trust that two of the three will be back without issue. Whitehead is the one that's still of concern, but again, he is going to be a game-time decision. In these games where... There is no movement possible within the standings and you've already locked up that playoff position. Avoiding injury is key. We saw some of that certainly over these last couple of weeks of of teams maybe not giving everything that they have in the tank because you don't want to risk those injuries. Hopefully for the BC Lions, that receiving core comes back intact. Any of those would be a big loss. You've already got Brian Burnham with some injuries, we're uncertain if he is going to see any action come playoff time here yet. So one big piece of that receiving core already missing, and you don't want to see more than that on the sidelines come playoff time. The early game on Saturday had the Alouettes in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. Montreal winning 38-33 to in the wildest game of the four on the weekend. Montreal started strong, 
stayed strong. Chad Kelly went all the way at quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts, 23 of 35 for 264. The Alouettes went with Dominique Davis, who went 13 of 14, but one pick was his only blemish. And Davis Alexander, who went 8 of 13 himself for 89. Great game, fun game to watch. Granted, the, the Alouettes were with the win, not going anywhere, but I think they really were hoping to make a statement to the Argonauts that if we come back, you better watch out. Absolutely. And with Trevor Harris sitting this one out completely, it was a a big statement by that Montreal Alouettes team showing that they are competitive no matter who is running that offense. I was excited to see Chad Kelly. He brings a lot of enthusiasm. We saw anytime he got an opportunity to hit the field, he came in with a lot of energy, even in those short yardage situations throughout the season, and he showed well. So this might be a great audition for Chad Kelly as a future starter in the CFL. It was an opportunity for him to show what he's capable of. Two touchdown passes. He's also a fairly mobile quarterback. He did have 35 yards rushing. So a, a big showing for him. Dominic Davis as somebody who has been on the cusp of being a starter before and this was a very strong showing for him 13 for 14 with one interception two touchdowns so again maybe somebody else that is moving his way back up amongst the quarterback ranks in the cfl audition tapes galore when it comes to backups this is your opportunity davis alexander finally got some meaningful moments as well on the field And this is something that he wants to show to the league that I can play. So anyone who says these games mean nothing, there's always a contract out there that comes about from that weekend. There certainly is. There's a lot of, especially second and third string quarterbacks that spend a lot of time on the sidelines holding iPads and wearing headsets. And when they get that opportunity to take meaningful snaps and not just garbage time, run the ball and and get into victory formation, but to actually lead your team through a few offensive series. It's, it's your chance to announce not just to your own team, but to all the teams in the league that, hey, I'm here and this is what I can bring to the table. The middle game of the three on Saturday saw the Tiger Cats in Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Hamilton winning 23-16. to Matt Schiltz and Dane Evans split time on the field for the Tiger Cats, combining 19 of 27 overall and 261 yards. No touchdown passes for either of them. It was no touchdown passes, but you look at the other quarterback for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Jamie Newman, with four carries for three yards and two touchdowns. So they were moving the ball into the red zone and getting where they needed to be. And then it was up to Newman to be the one that punches it in. Ottawa was held in check, only 304 yards of total offense. The question mark coming out of this game now is what is the future of Caleb Evans in Ottawa? 14 of 25 for 110 yards. Tyree Adams goes in, 8 of 12 for 98 Richie Leone, he picks up one of one for 23. Is he their future quarterback? I don't know what this means for Caleb Evans. We did see he was 
one of the leaders in touchdowns scored this season from the short yardage position. But as a, a starting quarterback, as somebody running the offense, unfortunately, I believe there were some other quarterbacks that would move ahead of him in the league rankings or the the position where teams are more likely to give them a look. Uh, Chad Kelly was a prime example of that. I think he is somebody that would get opportunities to fight for a starting position in the future. Matt Schiltz, as we've seen all season, coming into that dual quarterback role in Hamilton as well, has to move up those those charts as a potential starting quarterback moving forward. The nightcap in the final game of the regular season had the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Calgary to take on the Stampeders. A big crowd, 25,000 plus, to watch this game. The Stampeders hand it to the Riders, 36-10. Mason Fine goes all the way at quarterback for the Riders, 21-32 for 168 yards. Jake Mayer plays a while, gets 13-16 of 16 for 105 yards and a touchdown. He's followed up by Tommy Stevens, who is 4-5 of five for 32 and another touchdown. The big backbreakers in this game, the running plays by Tommy Stevens, a third down gamble that goes around the edge and he takes it to the house and underneath his own goalposts, he goes down the field to break the game open again. Yeah, four carries for 163 yards for Tommy Stevens. One of those, as you mentioned, a, a third and short that he took for a mere 85 yards. A big, big run for Tommy Stevens. And again, a, a, another future quarterback. He's a very tall, very strong quarterback. A build similar to Taylor Cornelius in Edmonton. And we'll see what the future holds for him. A nice nod to Bo Levi Mitchell as well in this game. He did take the field late for a couple of handoffs. We talked a bit about Cody Fajardo possibly playing his last home game for the Rough Riders. It's certainly pointing towards this being the end of the Calgary Stampeders career for Bo Levi Mitchell as well. So great to see Dave Dickinson give him that opportunity to get back out on the field. A standing ovation from the fans, well-deserved and a great great send-off for a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Compare and contrast... Cody Fajardo to Bo Levi Mitchell. One is going to be paid, the other probably not. Stampeders over 300 yards rushing in this football game. The Rough Riders, who had wanted to go out with a positive feel to the end of the season, wound up setting the record for the most sacks allowed in a season with 77. A tough night for Mason Fine from that standpoint. Multiple sacks yet again. And we will have to see what the Rough Riders do to try to shore up or or get that offensive line working together to protect those quarterbacks, whoever that is going to be coming up in this next season. Third down. Heading into the playoffs. Two semifinals on Sunday. The Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes renew their friendly hostilities in Montreal. The Alouettes are two and a half point favorites. That's almost a pick'em game. Alouettes won the seasonal series against the Tiger Cats. Both these games this week are going to be very tightly contested and tough to call. 
one takeaway against the Montreal Alouettes is Trevor Harris does not always show well in playoff games. One takeaway for the Hamilton Tiger Cats is they were not very good on the road this season. So how do you handicap that? I am picking the upset and taking the Hamilton Tiger Cats in this one. In my opinion, the Tiger Cats have been trending the right direction over this final third of the season. They really had a strong push winning four of five games to take that third playoff spot, eliminate that crossover possibility that was looking like a probability earlier on in the season. I think Hamilton's got some momentum on their side and they go into Montreal and and steal this one from the Alouettes. The Tiger Cats had lost seven straight on the road, won their last two. If you look back to when everything started to turn around for Hamilton, it was that big win over Winnipeg. From there, they started to move forward. The other thing that they incorporated was a running game. And now the Tiger Cats, like the Calgary Stampeders, can hit you both ways. The Alouettes' running game is not as significant. Injuries had a lot to do with that. Montreal at home has not won a playoff game since 2010. Tiger Cats, I like their chances because they're on a better roll. The hard part with Montreal is Trevor Harris, once a playoff year, has a game to remember. And if he does it here, the Tiger Cats don't have a prayer. You mentioned the running game, and that always becomes more important as the winds of November start howling the cold weather comes into play. We have seen Montreal get William Stanback suited up in the lineup again. He hasn't really shown what he did last season. Perhaps they were protecting him a little bit, and now that the playoffs are here, it's time for Stanback to give it everything he's got, and they might reestablish that running game as well. There are a lot of variables that come into play, but I like the direction that Hamilton has trended over the last few weeks. In terms of net offense, Hamilton ranked fourth in the league, Montreal seventh. And on defense, the Tiger Cats were second against the rest of the league, the Alouettes fifth. So on those statistical trends, you would like the Tiger Cats' chances. The fact that they've beaten both Winnipeg and Calgary also bodes well that they can play against big teams and come up with big wins. And it's such a fascinating game. And you can just tell how the odds makers have struggled with this because if they felt there was a strong tendency one way or the other, you would see at least three and a half to four and a half points. We're not seeing it at all. I'm going to take the Tiger Cats just because they can come with both quarterbacks If one is struggling, they've got the other. I don't know if Trevor Harris struggles. Does Dominique Davis provide that spark like he did against Toronto? You have to think the tandem of Dane Evans and Matthew Schiltz has a bit of an edge over Harris and Dominique Davis. You threw some interesting stats out there as well. It's always fascinating to see some of these numbers on paper that Hamilton ranked so well on both offense and defense this year. However, their record doesn't reflect that in the standings. Moving across to the West, the BC Lions host the Calgary Stampeders for the first time ever in a Western semifinal. 
That is an incredible stat. The Lions, like the Alouettes, are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Huge turnout expected in BC Place. Unequivocally, the Stampeders are aware that noise is going to be a factor because of the Dome. We have two quarterbacks that are untested in the playoffs. We don't know what Jake Mayer and Nathan Rourke are going to bring to the table. I am trending towards picking the home team in this one. I believe the spark that Nathan Rourke has brought back to this BC Lions team, the fact that they're hosting a playoff game, they haven't done so in a few years. It's a a big opportunity for these BC Lions. That offense, when firing on all cylinders, is a a sight to watch, and I'm going to give them a, a slight edge over an experienced Calgary Stampeders team with an inexperienced playoff quarterback. The Stampeders led the league with points scored with 562. They did not lead the league in net offense in terms of yardage. That was the BC Lions. Taking weather out of uh, this game as it is a dome stadium, special teams are going to come into play a little bit with two fantastic kickers in Sean White and Rennie Paredes. If it comes down to a last second field goal, the team that's kicking it is going to win this game. Calgary led the league with the fewest sacks allowed at 17. BC had 39. You could say that stats don't mean anything. You have to play it on the field, but there are tendencies that you can follow that point towards some things happening. Stampeders more confident going into this game because of how they finished the season. The Lions have a question mark. Nathan Rourke is their quarterback, but is he ready? And if he's not, you've got players like Cam Judge and Sean Lemon on that Calgary side of the ball that is going to give him fits. It's going to be a big test for that offensive line for the BC Lions to give Nathan Rourke time to do what he does best. We know prior to his injury, he was not only a very accurate passer, but a running threat as well. So if things do start to break down, we we might see that scrambling ability of Nathan Work come in to play a little bit, and that could be a difference maker for them as well. I'm liking the Stampeders because of their defense especially. Jake Mayer seems to have ice running through his veins, and if he stumbles, you've got a Grey Cup winning MOP in the background, Bo Levi Mitchell, who's ready to just go out there and take that team to glory again. Is the falloff from Rourke to Adams Jr. bigger than the falloff from Mayer to Mitchell? Those are some pretty phenomenal backup quarterbacks to have sitting on the sidelines waiting for you to step in. Vernon Adams Jr. can be a streaky quarterback. If Nathan Rourke struggles a bit and Vernon Adams comes in, it's going to be a matter of does he have success on that first drive and start stringing together some first downs and get some some momentum and some excitement going. If he also struggles out of the gate, it's going to be a, a tough situation for the BC Lions. I sure wouldn't mind having Bo Levi Mitchell, a great cup winning quarterback on the sidelines, ready to step in should my starter have some issues or heaven forbid have an injury. Uh, that's a, a great situation to have as well. So I would give the backup quarterback edge to the Calgary Stampeders. I'm leaning towards the Stampeders because of the experience that they have on that team. 
They can attack you with their running game, which led the CFL in total yards, or they can come at you with Mayer in the passing game. That receiving core is healthy for the Stampeders. We may not know for sure if the entire regimen for the BC Lions in their receiving core will be available. I'm going to take the Stampeders to win this game. So picking the road team in the upset in both the East and the West. Why would you go against the road team? They have been winning the preponderance of the games all season anyway. I'm hedging my bets a little bit. I have to give one home team an opportunity to win this one, and that's why I'm taking the Lions. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.